0: When you're alive, life can be fun. Go to the forest where the shadows do run. They're coming soon. They.
1: paranormal chicks. It's day 27 of 31 nights of Halloween.
0: This is something that we did with the Creepinati. We're calling it Creepinati
1: Campfire Tales. And if you're new to the podcast and you're like, what the hell is a Creepinati? Those are people who are members of Patreon who get all kinds of special perks, including helping us with this episode by sending in some of the best campfire tales you've ever heard. So sit back, Relax, roast your marshmallows, and get ready to get spooked. This one is from Chris from South Carolina. I have always loved Halloween. The dressing up, trick-or-treating, and most of all, the candy. I'm the youngest of my siblings, so by the time they had kids, my nieces and nephews are pretty close to my age more than my siblings. As soon as I got my license, I was the one who took them trick-or-treating. This Halloween, I had taken the boys, 8 and 6, to the trick-or-treat trail, the not-so-scary haunted house, and around house-to-house. Always to people we knew because it was the 80s and those jackass people had already put razor blades in candy. They ruined my fun when I was a little kid. Of course, my mama and sisters had to check, aka steal, my good candy. We had left to start trick-or-treating by around 5 and we were on our way home around 8.30 or 9. We lived down the boondocks and we were about 15 minutes from town. Here we are in my little samurai bouncing in the dark, we come around a curve and there's this old farmhouse isolated. And I could see the yard light. As I got closer, I saw something walking into the road. It was Michael Myers. I started screaming, and he walked right in front of me crossing the road. It was a scene straight out of the movie. The slow walk, the mask, coveralls. I'm terrified. The boys pop up to see what's wrong. Then they started screaming too. My samurai might have went 35 downhill, but here I was passing slow Michael Myers, who always seems to get there before the cars do. I was about three miles from my sister's house and it was a blur until I almost flipped trying to pull in the driveway and I jumped out of the car and ran in screaming. She comes running when she realizes I'm screaming and I had seen Michael Myers and she asks where her boys are. I tell her, I don't know, they ain't my kids. Fast forward about 10 years or so and I go to the beach with a friend of mine and her boyfriend summer of my life I was separated from my husband and I should have ran then but that's a story for another time anyway we had laid on the beach all day and came back to the room and I was cooked while they had been under the umbrella I was being a sun goddess because you know fat looks better tan well they leave to go get tequila because I was bound not to feel it they're gone and there's a knock at the door and I just figured they had forgotten something I jerk the door open, and who's standing there? That freaking mask from Scream. What the hell is going on here? I slam the door back and hid beside the bed. I'm still shaking when my friends get back, and the guy is swearing I'm lying or my brain is sun fried. I keep telling them I know what I saw. We end up doing shots so I can forget that horror. We go back out after dark to the pool and we're swimming. When I see a guy go up to T and they look at me and T starts dying laughing. Nice way to give me a complex, guys. I get out and I go to the table when the other guy walks off and T tells me the guy came to apologize because he had knocked on the wrong door and didn't mean to scare me. We start talking and I tell them the story of Michael Myers and how I feel cursed that all these scary movies were haunting me. When I tell them the Myers story, S. stares at me and says that was my brother. His birthday is on Halloween, and he's obsessed with Michael Myers. And you guessed it, they live less than a mile from where he walked out in front of me. This is called Temple of the Beast, a
0: poem by Anthony N. My footsteps, puddling beneath me like rain, rippling up around my shoes reflecting back at me in fractured rings the sound breaking into my mind a safe worth cracking beginning like a song melodies of the chorus echoing the wind a loud whistle rising the slight of space between the window pane and seal glass shaking and rattling like an infant unsettled sliding up into the dampness smoke from my cigarette soaking the air a blood red blade effervescent a flickering light from my ceiling my lips fastened with the blade between my teeth from my room I look down shadows play and horseflies tap against my glasses headlights reflect blinding visions of it something below the street lamp lurking it pulses broken in split seconds unearthed from somewhere else lowering the blinds in one movement Shut tight with no light escaping into the room. I peek. Eyes level with mine and damned burning with fire. Their lit membranes swirling in a pool of darkness. Like they do at, sometimes, the blinds fall. Shattering down like glass, shaking, and the eyes stay focused. Through the glass they move closer and faster, meeting my gaze. Eyes wide with terror and chilling the wind into ice. Eyes singing with lullabies waking the dead around me and baring teeth. In front of me on air speaks this creature. Wind blowing past shards of glass broken with no crisp drop to the ground. Floating and holding on to skin both pale and dark like wet newspaper. Pruned and dripping onto the wood of the floor beneath it. Whispers replace all sounds, and they yell louder than sirens. Light flashing from above us, revealing its face. Harsh, bruised hues under its eyes, dipping into bags ripped at the seams. The ash from my cigarette drops onto the blinds on the floor from my lips. In a moment of fearlessness, my hand rips my cigarette from my mouth. One stream of smoke rushes past my teeth into its grimacing visage. Drunk with anger and slipping into madness, I smile, ready for a fight and aching for the madness to consume me. Daily routines rushing through my mind and escaping out my nose as I exhale. Exhilaration runs through my veins, brushing past my every follicle. I've readied myself for this match, and a martyr for myself I will always be. It retreats to the ceiling, and I scream like the banshee I should fear— The house cracks mad as me and takes on new shapes in the darkness. I reach into the drunkenness within me and pull down this beast. Passing through my own floor, it makes no sound but a whimper. I run to my door and through it I go to the peak of my stairs. I see it standing at the base of the steps. Like lightning, I charge down into the monster and it goes out the wall. Out of my house that it came to for a soul. I open my door and challenge it now, making it sound with my mouth. It stares from past my fence, and a light from the street goes out. I call it and yell with all the anger in my bones. This beast disrupted my night and made me unease. Confront it, I must, or it will only feed. It must know it did wrong and did wrong by me. In my temple and place where I worship my own beast. I am the god of my home, and nothing will take that. No creature from space or from here on my land. It can take its eyes and its grinning teeth. It can take its lullabies and its waterlogged skin. It can take its bags from under its eyes and go somewhere else.
1: This one is from Zoe O. It's strange. I never expected this to happen to me. I've always been so careful, cautious, obeyed the rules. Sadly, you can't control other people. I remember that night so vividly, driving along the street. It was so quiet and well-lit. It felt normal. It felt safe. My radio was on, turned up high, blaring music that I happily sang along to. I say sang. That's a very loose description of the strangled cries that escaped my mouth. Such an ordinary drive home after a night out with friends. A wonderful time spent talking about everything. Jobs, partners, and not forgetting anyone who had wronged us. My husband, Andrew, will be waiting for me when I get back. And will get a full playback of the events of the night. He wouldn't want it, but he would get it. That and other things. Well, he would have, but as much as you can control yourself, you can't control others. What happened next is just as vivid as the events before I got in the car. I come to a set of lights and stop for the red. No one else is around, and it quickly turned to green. I pull out across the road and start turning right. As I do, I'm blinded by a light coming straight towards me on the right-hand side. My brain only has enough time to register that it's a car driving towards me, directly into the driver's side door. And that was it. All I could remember. Until I woke up recently in the hospital, surrounded by machines, my husband by my side, and pain, such pain, everywhere. But I'm alive. So help me, I am alive. I can't believe it. My husband is here every day. He tells me stories from our lives together. We talk about what's going on in the world and what the medical staff are doing for me. Each day that I can remember is becoming a routine of doctors, nurses, medications, OBS being taken, and of course my husband's ever-loving presence. Strangely, lots of it is actually a blur. Like memories you know are there but can't quite grasp. Memories blurred by the strong medications which help me forget the pain as well as other things. Each day is almost the same, but today feels different. I don't know why. I wake to Andrew crying gently beside me, holding tight to my hand. What's wrong? I ask him. He's been crying a lot recently. I kept telling him I'm better, stronger, and less pain every day. But I think the stress of it is all getting to him, and it's starting to show. He replies, why did this happen? Why did this happen to you, to us? Fucking drunk driving piece of shit. His words are full of anger, so I squeeze his hand and try to reassure him. Things happen, Pumpkin, my nickname for him since our first date on October 31st, many years ago. I am okay. I'm alive. It will be alright. We will get through this together. We'll be back home together again soon. As I finish speaking, a nurse and a doctor walk in. Andrew looks from me to them and dries his eyes. The doctor speaks. Mr. Smith, Mrs. Smith, he says, looking intently at both of us. It's been a long road, a really tough three months, and we have reached the end of our journey together. I'm seriously shocked. Three weeks, maybe, I think, but three months? That's crazy. All I manage to articulate is, wow, it doesn't feel that long. I, Mr. Smith, the doctor interrupts, gesturing to the nurse's station just outside my door. Yeah, Doc, I know. Andrew lets out a large sigh and starts to sob again. The nurse comes and rubs his back as he lowers his head and cries on our joint hands, which are clasped together on the bed. Oh, Pumpkin, don't cry. Didn't you hear the doc? We're moving out of ICU. This is a happy thing. No more tears. We'll be down on a regular ward one step closer to home. He looks up at me. His eyes are red, raw, still full of tears threatening to spill. Now I look more closely at his face, and I see it shows every minute of the three months he has been here beside me. He is aged, and it makes me realize where these tears are coming from. It's a release of all of the worry and pain he has had to carry while I have laid here. I want so badly to hug him, but all of these stupid wires and IVs mean I can't do more than hold his hand. I hope this move to another ward means I'm able to get rid of some of these contraptions so I can finally hold my husband in my arms. I feel so trapped. As he looks at me, he brings my hand to his cheek, stands, and kisses my head. Angel, I'm going out with the doc to sign some papers. I will be right back. I smile at him. See you soon. And with that, he leaves the room. I look at the nurse who is standing at the bottom of my bed, reading the machines either side of me and writing into a chart. I have seen her many times. She works here regularly and always pops in to talk to us and has helped us through all this. Thank you so much for all of your help, I say to her. You have been a ray of sunshine during my time here. The nurse stops writing and gazes down at me. As she does, a single tear escapes her eye and she begins to pat my pillows in an attempt to fluff them. "'God bless you,' she whispers. "'No, God bless you. "'Nurses are so underappreciated, not to mention underpaid.' "'She smiles wistfully. "'I'm sure she has heard it before, "'and I hope she knows how much her hard work means to me. "'I make a mental note to send her a card and flowers "'once I get my phone and can order some. "'As I think it, the doctor and Andrew return. "'So it will be as discussed, Mr. Smith. "'Are you sure you have no more questions?' ''Do you want anyone else here?'' the doctor asks. Andrew shakes his head. ''No, it's just us. Always has been.'' He replies, looking at me, smiling in a way that never quite reaches his eyes. ''Okay, time for goodbyes then.'' The doctor remarks in a strangely solemn tone. In spite of this, I smile, delighted we finally get to leave this place. I open my mouth to say goodbye to the nurse and the doctor, As the three people in the room move closer towards the head of my bed, as they do, my husband once again takes my hand, kisses me on the lips, the most gentle, tear-soaked kiss, and whispers, goodbye, my angel. I will love you now, forever, and always. I'm confused. So confused. What? What do you mean? Doctor, what's happening? I look to see him and can barely make out the edge of his white coat close to the monitors beside my head. Just at the edge of my vision, I realize I can't move my head to look more carefully. I can't even move my eyes. Mr. Smith, I'm so sorry. We've done everything we can, but your wife has no signs of brain activity anymore. It's time. What? I scream. Are you joking? I'm okay. Why aren't you listening to me? What's happening. I'm kicking, screaming, tossing myself around the bed, fighting what I had just heard, except I'm not fighting at all. The wave of fear crashes into me at the same time as a flood of memories. Memories of whispered words, conversations that I have never been involved in, memories of tears that only ever shed by Andrew. Words of love I have tried to tell him over and over, but have never been able to articulate. Memories of being trapped. Trapped not by machines or IVs, but by my own body. Trapped in my own mind. I stare hopefully at my husband, screaming at him. I'm here. Don't do this. I'm still here. Please don't. Please hear me. Look in my eyes. I'm still here. I watch as he quietly sobs. Yes, it's time. He sits, turning to look at me as he holds my hand clasped in his. He brings it to his mouth and plants a final kiss on each of my fingers as hot tears stream down his face. I hear the switch being flipped near the doctor. I panic. I kick and lash around, but I don't. My body fails me again. I lie silently, unmoving, as everyone around me slowly fades into the distance. A small pinprick of light where a whole world used to be as a vast abyss of darkness takes over. Until nothing. As quickly as the darkness surrounds me, it disappears. I find myself standing behind my husband who is lying peacefully in our bed at home. I lean down to him, smiling happily. I whisper in his ear, It's okay, I'm here. I will always be here, pumpkin. I sit on the edge of the bed and stroke his sleeping face. See, I told you we would be back home together again soon. The end.
0: This one is called The Witch's Grave by Misty J. The woods at West Branch Park are haunted by a woman who was killed by fanatical townspeople. She was accused of being a witch and was killed by being pressed, a method which involves laying a wood slab on the accused and adding stones bit by bit until the body breaks and is crushed beneath the weight. Fittingly, her grave is marked by a mound of stones. Now the accused witch roams the woods at West Branch. She is sighted from time to time, Always clad in a flowing black gown and a black scarf, with red, glowing eyes. Over the years, the stones on her grave have been scattered, but a layer still remains which cannot be disturbed. A poem that was once engraved on the stone read, As you are now, so once was I. It used to be a rite of passage for local kids to drive out to the witch's graveyard at night and chip off a piece of the stone to take home as a souvenir. A group went one night, and all but one of them took a piece of the stone, fearful of the curse and protesting that they shouldn't disturb her. On their way home down the dark and curvy road, suddenly behind them, red, glowing eyes. A loud scream filled the air around them. Who dares take from me? Driving faster and faster to get away, swerving from side to side, another scream and the red eyes in front of them now, You will be the same as me. Wanting to get as far from the eyes and the screams as they could, driving in reverse now, knowing the curse is real. Every time they thought she was gone, again she would appear screaming with the glowing red eyes. In front of them, behind them, nowhere to go. Wanting to go back and return the stones to the grave, the driver turned around quick, lost control of the car and rolled down the hillside. They died in the car accident, all but the one kid who protested and refused to take a piece of the stone. Ever since then, bad luck has followed anyone who dared desecrate the witch's graveyard. To those who dare and go see the witch's grave and see her red eyes glowing up at you, just know, when you do, she may take your life too.
1: Okay, this story is written by me. Picture it. A young girl in her mid-twenties off to live her dream. She's going to college. When she gets there, she has the time of her life. She learns. She's finding out who she is. But in the end, all she finds is a nightmare. Student loans.
0: All right, so I wrote a story that's not heepy and GP so it's a little less Kitty, but, you know, it's still me, so, you know. It's three days until my 15th birthday, and I have two words for you. Driver's permit. I'm elated, but my parents are too preoccupied with their own adult things to worry about my nonsense. Or, at least that's what it feels like. I've asked my mom five times to get all my paperwork together so we can be first in line to take my test. But there's always some excuse just so happens that tonight I will have the house to myself because my dad has a business dinner and luckily he's dragging mom along. Here's what I'm thinking, and I know if someone was here, they would tell me it's a bad idea, but I'm going to find the paperwork myself. I watch their car turn left out of the neighborhood, their tail lights slowly fading, and when they are completely out of sight, I let out a deep sigh. I hadn't noticed, but I was holding my breath this entire time. It's like my mind was trying to tell me this was wrong, but I'm not fluent in understanding my gut instincts yet. I shake off whatever this nervous energy is because I'm on a mission. I don't know how long they'll be gone, so I quickly head upstairs to my dad's office. Entering his office, knowing he wasn't home, made my mouth instantly go dry and my stomach feel as if someone's tying my intestines in a knot like a clown does when they make balloon animals. I push these feelings down, reminding myself that they are just roadblocks on my way to getting my driver's permit. Before I continue to think about all the ways I'm betraying their trust, I open a drawer in the filing cabinet. It slides forward with such ease that it relaxes me. Maybe if it was locked or had gotten stuck, I would have thought it was a sign that this really isn't what I should do. However, the universe was urging me to continue, right? So that's what I'm going to do. I scour through files and get dizzy from all the information I'm rapidly skimming. There's nothing here but taxes and work stuff for my dad. What a waste, I mutter as I close his office door and slowly descend the stairs. This leaves one other place to look, and it's a place I wanted to avoid like, always and forever avoid the basement. Begrudgingly, I walk through the living room to get to the kitchen where the door to the basement is. I hate it being there because every morning at breakfast, I feel like something is watching me from the door's keyhole. It's eerie, but I have to muster up the courage and go because those two words ring in my ears, pushing me forward. Driver's permit. Driver's permit. The door creaks as I open it, and I instantly feel goosebumps prickle my skin. Each step further in the basement seems gloomier than the last, and there's a chill in the air that I cannot accurately describe, but just know it's unsettling. The light in the basement casts a yellow hue on everything, and ages it by at least 10 years, so when I finally see the boxes, they look like they've been through war. I heave one box after another off the stack and onto the floor until they all surround me in a circle. I open box after box, rummage through papers and old art projects, and then I find something at the bottom of the last box. Honestly, I almost overlooked it. To fight the yellow glow, I use a flashlight on my cell phone and bring the folder out. Right on top is my birth certificate. Finally, I can leave this dark, dank basement and catch up on some series on Netflix. But that tugging in my stomach returns and I look closer, just to inspect a little more and make sure that it is the correct document. You never know with the DMV. That's what my dad says, at least. They're fickle and you have to be prepared. And that's what I was determined to be, prepared. However, I was not prepared for what I saw next. There must have been a mistake. The birth certificate says Brenna McDougal, but my name's Brinley, and I'm an only child. I lay the certificate aside and start to dig through the other paperwork in the folder, and that's when I find it. There's a death certificate, and there's the name again, Brenna McDougal. I don't know what this means, but it's on my birth date, and from what I can gather, Brenna, whoever that is— only lived for three minutes. I try to blink away my confusion, but it's no use. I've tiptoed my way into some mystery, and before I can solve it in the basement, I hear what sounds like a car door. I throw the papers back in the folder and grip it tightly against my chest as I charge up the stairs and slam the basement door shut behind me. I don't even wait to see if it's my parents returning home. I don't even know what time it is. It's like minutes ticked by as fast as hummingbirds flap their wings while I was in the basement. I quietly shut my door and make sure all the lights are off because I don't want to be disturbed. I collapse onto my bed with the paper sprawled in front of me and use my cell phone again as a flashlight. I've watched a lot of crime TV, so I know the details are important. Taking my time, I go line by line on the birth certificate. She was born three minutes before me. Those three minutes, she was breathing. Then I was brought into this life as hers was ending. I shudder at the thought of how fragile life really is. The similarities between us make my throat feel tight and my heart ache. Our strawberry blonde hair, same height and weight. The one difference is she had green eyes and I have blue. Well, and I have a life and she's only alive on this paper. I can't help but wonder if her freckles would be in the same pattern as mine. Mom always calls them my sprinkles, and I thought I was special. But what if Brenna and I shared this? That would have been really special. My thoughts are scrambled, and my body is riddled with emotion as soft sobs escape, so I bury my face in my pillow. I have a sister. Had a sister. That means we shared nine intimate months together. I've always wanted a sister, and I had one. And no one ever told me about her. Fourteen years of lies, and to think I thought I was betraying my parents tonight. They betrayed me my entire life. My sobs turn into wails, so I muffle myself more in the pillow and continue to wish for a life with my twin. I had a twin. Brenna McDougal. I have needed that sisterly support for so long. I could have stolen her clothes and us gotten in stupid fights that ended with bouts of laughter like siblings normally do. That's what I see on TV anyway. Do you know how badly I need my sister's opinion right now on whether or not Porter Daniels likes me? Ugh. I fall asleep thinking about all the things I need Brenna for, and I dream of us sharing a bedroom, fighting over dolls and teddy bears, And her always winning. I wake up with that same heartache and yearning to know Brenna that lulled me to sleep last night. I lay there listening to my parents laugh and prepare breakfast downstairs. Those fucking liars. Tears well up in my eyes and even though I try to fight them back, I quickly surrender, letting them stain my cheeks with sadness. I have to compose myself. I cannot go downstairs and eat pancakes while panicking inside and wanting to rip their tongues out because they held secrets that I couldn't even begin to think were real. I dragged myself to the shower in hopes of the hot water washing away the resentment that is radiating from my body. It must have worked because breakfast was fine, small talk, and I even forced a laugh or two. And they were none the wiser. I told them that I wanted to go ride my bike on the trail, and they agreed I could. I gathered my pink helmet and opened the garage to collect my pink bike. Obviously, pink is my favorite color. And then a tinge of pain twisted inside of me because I wondered what Brenna's favorite color would be. I hopped on the bike and pedaled away from the house that was now suffocating me with secrets. The wind chapped my face, but with each gust, I felt freer the ends of my hair flowing wild under the helmet, and for that moment, I was normal again. Brinley, an only child who was okay with being alone. But how long would that last? The answer is not even a minute because I thought maybe I'm not alone. Maybe I've never been alone. Maybe the feeling of being watched wasn't a bad thing. It meant that Brenna was watching over me. I need answers. I need to know if Brenna is there in that house. And then my mind flashes to that silly YouTube video I watched with some friends about how to make your own Ouija board. But they said it was too dangerous, so we never tried it. But it's my sister. My fucking twin. Even if I wanted to keep cycling away from the house, there was now a pulling sensation that stirred inside of me, hooking around my heart and latching on with no sight of letting go. So I skidded to a stop and circled back to head home. My legs started to cramp a little because I was pedaling so fast, but I couldn't stop. I had to get back. I had to talk to Brenna. I had to talk to my sister. This was happening and my soul felt like it was going to be complete for the first time in forever. I ran inside, unhooking my helmet and tossing it on the counter. I didn't even stop when my mom yelled at me about being inconsiderate. Yeah, lady, pot meat kettle, I thought as I sprinted up the stairs. I got my laptop out to watch the video again, taking note of the supplies I would need. I quickly eased my way down the stairs, creeping into the basement, and I didn't even bother turning on the light once I was there. I knew what I needed. That box of old art projects. Thanks, Mom, for being a hoarder. I thumbed through some of the creations and only gathered what I needed and slinked my way back upstairs to my room. I carefully deconstructed my old art and created the board. My proudest moment is that I thought to use the magnifying glass from my Harriet the Spy costume as the planchette. I tried to quiet my mind, slow my breathing, and let my fingertips rest on the quote-unquote planchette. Is anyone here? Nothing. Does anyone want to talk? Nothing. Nothing. Is it close to my birthday? And then the planchette moved. O-U-R-S. Hours. My skin tingled with anticipation and I let out a long but soft breath. Are you my sister? Yes. What's your name? B-R-E-N-N-A. I gasped, and tears fell without any warning. I cried even harder when I looked at my fingers on the planchette and thought how this was the closest we would ever be to holding hands like we might have done in the womb. Do babies do that? We would have. I swallow down my heavy emotions and continue on. Trying to lighten the mood, I ask, Does Porter Daniels like me? Yes. Really? Brenna? Yes, I need deets. How can we talk more? C-H-A-N-T. Chant? Uh, okay, chant what? I know some cheers. I replied, cringing as I say it because it sounds so lame. Then the planchette began to move a little faster, zooming to form the words pen and paper. I rummage through some of the art I didn't use and find a marker and flip over one of my paintings from third grade and use the back. My eyes follow the movement of the planchette and jot down each letter, trying to keep up with my sister. I look at the letters scribbled on the page and organize them into coherent sentences. I am half of a whole. My sister is my soul. Please bring her to me and I will surely thank thee. Then there were leftover words such as mirror and candle, so I've seen the craft more times than I'd like to admit. I can put two and two together. I need to get a candle, sit in front of a mirror, and chant this phrase. Simple enough. Then maybe I could hear her voice. My sister's voice. The only candle I can find is Mahogany Teakwood, but if she's my twin, she would love it as well. I quickly lock my door and then light the three wicks of the candle and take my seat at my vanity. The candle flickers and dances across my face as I lick my lips and start to chant softly. I am half of a whole. My sister is my soul. Please bring her to me and I will surely thank thee. Over and over, getting a bit faster each time, letting the desperation drip from my tongue. But nothing. What a waste! I groan and crawl into bed. My body was drained from the emotional roller coaster of the afternoon. I didn't know I was going to take a nap, but I did. I don't even know how long I slept, but I woke up and felt a little different. I felt like something inside me had shifted. I shrugged it off and sat up on the edge of my bed, and out of nowhere, I thought I might snap a quick selfie and send it to my besties about the catnap just to make them jealous. I went to review it, just to make sure my bedhead wasn't too terrible, but then dropped the phone completely and wanted to scream, but I couldn't even get a breath out. Finally, after regaining my composure, I bent over and reached for the phone, picking it back up and zooming in on my face. Everything looked normal, but instead of two blue eyes, I had one blue and one green. The green was hardly noticeable, but it was there. I knew it. It was different. I was different. Brenna? I whispered while looking around the room. Instantly, a searing pain shot through my head and I felt it travel through what felt like every fiber of my being. But it was over in a matter of seconds, and after, I was left with a warm feeling as if someone was cradling me in their arms and I leaned into their embrace, letting myself freefall into the unknown. Brinley, dinner's ready!' my mom yelled from the bottom of the stairs, shaking me from my trance-like state. I was mostly quiet through dinner besides complimenting my dad's cooking. Every bite tasted better than before. Everything was amazing. I think I even made him blush, and my mom looked so content that this was our family." But seeing that expression on her face made my stomach drop as if I were in an elevator plummeting from 12 stories high. I felt my cheeks flush with anger and my hands even curled into fists under the table. Before I knew what I was doing, my lips formed words and my breath pushed them out of my body. I found the birth certificate. They both looked at me blankly. Brenna's, I seethed. Brindley, you should not have no, you should not have kept my sister a secret. I interrupt my dad before he can even finish his thought. It's just babble. Just fill her until they can find another lie to tell and wrap all of this up in a pretty bow and present it to me like they did it for me, for my well being. I scoff at them, shaking my head, and push away from the table. I'm going to bed, I called over my shoulder, and then slammed my door when I got upstairs using that as a way to punctuate my hurt. The next morning, breakfast was eerily silent, but by lunch the chill in the house had thawed, and my mom actually apologized for not telling me about my sister. And my dad admitted to being selfish for keeping Brenna a secret. I felt so seen and understood by my parents that I cried. They both came and hugged me tightly. Then dad started to clear the table, but mom hugged me a little longer, "'wiping my tears away with her soft fingers, "'her touch cooling my feverish anger "'and mending all of the brokenness that this secret caused. "'I looked up at her, smiling a bit through my tears, "'and she returned my smile with her one-of-a-kind warm grin, "'then tilted her head a bit and squinted. "'Your eyes look green today. "'Maybe they're hazel and not blue after all.' "'She pondered out loud as she let her fingers run through my hair, knowing that always calms me down. Brindley, I'm so sorry for not telling you. Honestly, I am. I'll never keep anything from you, I promise. She whispered against my forehead. I nodded, nuzzling her, feeling so protected and loved. It's okay, Mom, honestly. Being an only child isn't bad. Siblings can really suck the life right out of you. She laughed and I joined her. Oh, but... I want to be called Brie from now on.
1: As we round out the last week of 31 Nights of Halloween, we hope that these stories were just spooky enough to get you in the mood for Halloween. Thank y'all in the Creepinati who submitted
0: the stories. We absolutely loved them.
1: They were so amazing. So happy Halloween and remember, creep it real and don't don't get get scared. scared.